You're listening to Driven by Insight. Join Willie Walker, Walker and Dunlop's chairman and CEO, as we bring you fresh perspectives about leadership, business, the economy, and commercial real estate. Willie hosts a diverse network of leaders as they share wisdom that cuts across industry lines. His guests are experts in their fields. From leading economists and CEOs to Harvard and Yale professors and everything in between. Our one goal is simple, providing you with unique insights, unparalleled data, and real-time market analyses. So our next guest, Carvey, is an old, old, old friend of mine. He is an exceptional, exceptional coach, an exceptional leader, and I have watched him coach. And what has been so incredible to me to see is where Greg has focused his time and attention as it relates to how he recruits athletes, how he trains those athletes, and how he leads those athletes. And what I would put forth to you is that during the national championship game, the ESPN commentators throughout the game sat there and talked about the fact that UMass had a distinct culture. And they kept talking about it. UMass has a distinct culture on their hockey team. And at the end of the game, after they've won the national championship, beating the two-time national championship who'd beaten them two years before in the national championship game, the ESPN announcer went up to the assistant captain of the team. And he said to him, we're talking about the culture at UMass and what it is that makes it such a unique team. What is it? And this guy's just won the national championship. They're all out running, throwing their gloves up in the air. And on national television, he sits there and he says, oh, that's really easy. Coach Carvel focuses on character over skill. He's just won the national championship. The most talented team in the country. And the assistant captain says, Coach Carvel focuses on character over skill. I'm going to turn the mic over to Greg Carvel to tell you exactly why he does that and how it's turned out for him. Greg, where are you? There he is. Hey, Coach. Thanks, Willie. Great seeing you, buddy. Great to see you. Thanks. All right, Willie said, I've got a lot of experience as a coach. I don't have a lot of experience as a speaker at conferences. This is the first one. And first, I just want to thank you, Willie, for having me here. This is a very emotional topic for me. What we've done at UMass has been very special. So today, my presentation, we all hear about culture all the time. I don't know if we hear so much about the leadership of culture. So I'm going to talk more so about the leadership of culture. Culture relies heavily on leadership in my regard. I need to address one part of the UMass hockey culture before we get going, and that is humility. We put a premium on humility in our hockey program. For this conference today, for this presentation, I'm throwing humility out the window. I'm just warning you. It could be offensive by the end, so you've been warned. Along the lines of humility, our team, we follow the model, let someone else praise your virtues. So I don't want to be up here and preach. I'm going to attempt to let the words of other people uh, explain how we do our culture. And so I'll start with one example. So the challenge to my team early on, our identity as a team and as a program is fast, hard, prepared. We want to play fast, hard, prepared. We want to do everything that way, whether we're in the weight room, practice, whatever it is, fast, hard, prepared. So my challenge to my team from early on was, I want you guys to play to our identity so well that the opposing coach says our identity in the post-game press conference. Three years in, 
They play fast, they play hard, they're detailed. So I gave that was a victory for the players. Prepared and detailed was close enough. So that's an example of how I'm going to run the, the presentation today. My belief is if you do things well enough that other people can see, feel it, and say it back to you, you're doing things the right way. Okay? So shortly after we won the national championship, Willie reached out to me and he, he asked if I'd speak at this conference. And my first reaction was, well, geez, that's probably full of CEOs and CFOs and COOs. And I'm a COA, CH. I got too many letters in my title. I don't know if we're going to be able to relate. I don't speak your language. I listened last night to all these terms. I don't know what they mean. But Willie just said, just talk about the journey from worst to first. And so I can do that. And, and college hockey, there's approximately 60 Division I teams. It fluctuates from year to year. When I came to UMass, UMass had finished last place in the conference four years in a row. Great job. We kept that alive the first year. We kept the streak going. <laughs> My first year, we won five games. We lost 29. We lost the last 17 in a row. Okay? That was not a lot of fun. But we brought in our first recruiting class the next year, and we were the most improved team in the country. We went from five wins to 17 wins, and we jumped up to 36. So we've gone from worst to about middle of the pack by year two. The next year, we're the most improved team again. We went from 17 wins to 31 wins, and we lost in the national championship game. So it's a pretty quick rise. The fourth year was COVID. We had a good team again. I thought we could have made another run. Everybody's life got ended by COVID. And in our fifth year, we won the national championship. So importance of leadership and culture. I'm going to start with, a, with an example that took place at the end of the year. As Willie said, in 2019, we lost the national championship game to the University of Minnesota Duluth. They were the benchmark in college hockey. When they beat us, that was their second in a row championship. They played three years in a row in the national championship game. So this past season, they were going for a three-peat and four times in a row in the national championship game. So we had a good team this year, but we had to play Duluth in the national semifinal. I was excited because two years previous, they put us in our place. And I took so much out of that game, and then we had two years to grow as a program, and I wanted to see where we stood. Great. I'm excited. It's a big challenge, right? We've got to knock them off the top of the mountain. A week before that game, my sports administrator calls me at 10 p.m. at night. Call from your sports administrator at 10 p.m. at night, not good news. There's no chance it's going to be good news. So he says, Greg, we've got a little problem. One of your players has tested positive for COVID. We hadn't had one player test positive for COVID all year. The kids did a great job staying safe. He said, well, and he lives with three other kids. So you have four kids on the team who can't play against Duluth. I said, okay, who are they? One, your starting goalie. Our starting goalie was the best goalie in the country. He hadn't lost the game in two months. Punch to the gut. All right, who, who else? Your leading goal scorer. He's six foot three. He just scored a hat trick in the last game. Hat trick is scoring three goals in a game. It's hard to do. Six foot three, and he's the heartbeat of our team. Another punch to the gut. All right, who else? Your biggest power forward. Ah, oh, okay. Duluth's a big team, so we need as much size as we could get. He's gone. I said, all right, who's the fourth? He goes, well, your other goalie. We have three goalies. <laughs> so we have three goalies. Two of them are out. Now I have to dress my equipment manager as a backup goalie in the national semifinal game. 
Okay, as the leader of this culture, this was my response, I swear to God. And when he was done telling me, I said, good. Call me up or pull me aside with some major problem, some issue that was going on. And he'd say, boss, we got this and that and the other thing. And I'd look at him and I'd say, good. And finally one day he was telling me about some issue that he was having, some problem. And he said, I already know what you're going to say. And I said, well, what am I going to say? He said, you're going to say good. He said, that's what you always say. When something is wrong and going bad, you always just look at me and say good. And I said, well, yeah. When things are going bad, there's going to be some good that's going to come from it. Didn't get the new high-speed gear we wanted? Good. Didn't get promoted? Good. More time to get better. Oh, mission got canceled? Good. We can focus on another one. Didn't get funded. Didn't get the job you wanted. Got injured. Sprained my ankle. Got tapped out. Good. Got beat. Good. You learned. Unexpected problems. Good. We have the opportunity to figure out a solution. That's it. That's it. I swear to God, I called my assistant coach. I said, hey. We just lost four guys. He said to me, good. Swear to God. That's our mentality. That's the leadership of our program. And a big point I'm going to make today is that leadership trickles down. Okay, And I believe that fully, especially with the, the age that I work with, 19 to 24-year-old kids. If you can get them to believe, they'll follow you anywhere. And so we beat Duluth. We didn't have those four kids. It took us to overtime. We were down in the third period. It was a complete character win. In overtime, we dominated. We outshot them 13 to 2. It was just a matter of time before we beat them. So what you do as a leader is really important. Okay? So leaders are critical. The first thing they have to do is they have to have a vision. You have to have a blueprint. And it has to be right and has to be done well. So you control your culture and that you control the vision. That's the first thing that's important. I use the term clarity of vision. I have my vision, but I have to be able to articulate it and sell it to my staff, to my players, to the point that they fully believe it too. And I call that clarity of vision. Because I have about 40 people, staff, players, and if I have all 40 believing and knowing exactly what the standards are and expectations, I consider that clarity of vision. There's not one person in my program who can't say, well, what do we do in this situation? Every single person knows exactly what to do, what the expectations are, and when you get clarity of vision, you get belief, and that's very powerful. So after that, after you have a vision, it's about people, okay? People are your biggest assets, and you fight to bring good people into your program. You fight harder to keep them in your program. So when we win the national championship, my associate head coach, my assistant coach, unbelievable coach. And of course, he gets offered a head coaching job at another university, not unexpected. I fought like hell to keep him. That may sound selfish, but it's not. I'm the custodian of this culture. I got to fight like hell to keep the good people in it. Okay? So I offered him more money. 
I said, hey, why would you leave this culture? It's great, blah, blah, blah. I fought. Ultimately, he left. It was a big step forward, okay? I hugged him, cried, and he's moved on. But I fought. You've got to fight to keep good people in your program because it's the people who provide the character. And the character builds the culture. So the leaders have the vision, then you have to bring in the people. I always love this quote, people should be your greatest commodity in a high-performance environment. People are everything. So when we recruit, we don't recruit the best hockey players, we recruit the best people we can find. We try to amass character. I use the phrase, cumulative character is the backbone of championship teams. And I believe this fully, and I, due to the clarity of vision of our team, our players believe this as well. And Willie spoke about that, and this is the video that he's talking about. How does that happen? How does Coach Carville come in and completely flip the switch on this program? It's the culture. Uh, you know, he cares about character more than skill. And uh, that's what we're building here. We have a hell of a lot of character. And I, I'm so happy to be part of it. It's great. Okay, so he said, character more than skill. We have a hell of a lot of character. That's cumulative character. And I'm happy to be a part of it. That's belief. So I've gotten so many comments about that one statement. And again, that's not coming from me. That's coming from the players. They're fully bought in. It's the clarity of vision which is so important in what we do. All right, so now we've got the vision, we've got the people which provide the character, and now we have to start the, building the culture, and of course, the core values are the beginning of any culture. I'm going to use the word unique a lot today, because I think we have a unique culture, we do things uniquely at the college level, and how I introduce our core values is unique. So this just happened a week ago yesterday. All our freshmen, come to campus for the summer to train. It's the first time I have all of them in the room together. Half of them have their parents with them. And I'm introducing them to UMass hockey and talking about our standards, expectations. And then out of nowhere, I'll just stop. And I'll go, Willie, do you see me? Yes. You can see me. Yes. You sure you can see me? Okay. I see you. Okay. I see you. I see, see, see you. Okay? I, integrity, see commitment, see compete, see connection, you unity. So that's our introduction to our core values. And I'll tell you what, you can call any person in my program right now, randomly pick any person, I'll come up, hey, what are our core values? Everyone knows our core values. I demand that. Which one's the most important? Willie, which one do you think is the most important? Guess again. Sheila's going to go with connection. Connection's correct. For me, my vision of the program, connection's the most important, okay? Because it's connection that we build, use connection to build relationships. And I have to build a unique relationship with every player and every staff member on the team. If I do that, something happens, the screen will come up here in a second, I call it being uniquely seen. If I'm a player in the team and I feel like I'm just another, I'm number 22, I play right wing. That's not what I want. I want every kid on my team to feel uniquely seen. Coach knows who I am, he knows what makes me tick. 
If you feel uniquely seen, understood, valued, and appreciated, it will hook you into being committed to the team, the leader, and the program. So it's my job to make every kid and the team, every staff member feel uniquely seen. In this quote, when you feel uniquely seen, you become committed. So we've now gone from character to commitment. So we've got a vision, we've got the character, and we've got commitment. And now your culture is really starting to go. Everybody has a culture. Every company has a culture, whether they like it or not, whether they're trying or not. We're very deliberate in trying to build our culture. We call our culture a peak performance culture. And we describe it in a certain way. We call it a high trust, zero bullshit culture. So the trust part is the building the relationships, being uniquely seen, having that kind of connection with your coach, and the zero bullshit is the high standards, the clarity of vision, and the accountability that is the responsibility of the leader. All right, so another term that we use, talent matters, but culture wins. Before every game, we spend all week getting ready to play an opponent. We practice hard, we do video, we have a game plan. And the last thing that the players hear before they go out in the ice, they don't hear, we're better than these guys, we're, you know, we got more skill, we're this and this. The only thing they hear is our culture beats their culture. That's what they hear when they go on the ice. And so the same day that we do that introduction to the core values that I just ran through with, with Willie, I gave them a book called Legacy. And inside that book, so we had 10 new guys on Monday, I handed out 10 books. They weren't all the same book. The difference between all the books was that I wrote a personal message inside each book for each player. So right from there, we're starting to find that uniqueness that I talked about earlier. Okay? So each book in this book, Legacy, has a, a unique message to them, so they already start to feel uniquely seen. Now we have a book club all summer with that book, Legacy. It's a great book. It teaches you how to be a good teammate, but for me, it talks about how to build a value-based and a purpose-driven culture. And I just want to discuss a couple of the chapters in this book. The first chapter is a word that means, it's pronounced finale. I'm not even sure what the language is. And I'm sure you're reading the bottom line more so than the top line. But this is one of the first chapters of the book and how important it is to have no dickheads in your program. When we were five and 29, we had a lot of Richard heads in our team. <laughs> we have no bad kids on our team. I believe strongly that even one selfish mindset will infect a collective culture. There's a great quote by Muhammad Ali in this chapter. It says, it's not the mountain in front of you that wears you down, it's the pebble in your shoe. And along those lines, it's better to have a thousand enemies outside the tent than one enemy inside the tent. So, the one thing I've learned in the last couple of years is that high-functioning people really struggle with low-functioning people. And if you're trying to build a peak performance culture and you have these high-character kids, you can't bring them down by having even a couple low-functioning people in the program. So, we operate under the rule of threes at UMass. One, if you're a one, you do everything right. You train right, you eat right, you do well in school, you know how to play hockey the right way. You're low maintenance, we don't worry about you. Okay? If you're a three, 
you're a pain in my ass, you're always in trouble, you can't figure things out, and before long, we move you along, you're not part of the program anymore. So the key is the twos. The twos are the kids that have potential, but they're a little immature, they haven't figured things out yet, and they go into a special club. We call it the Big Boy Pants Club. <laughs> and we teach them how to find and how to put on their big boy pants. And that's nothing more than communicating to them the standards that we expect, and these are just standards that they're not used to, and it's an uncomfortable place for them, okay? And we call this uncomfortableness the squeeze. And we apply the squeeze because when you squeeze the twos, one or two things happen. They go down to a three, or they go up to a one. And what we say is, if you're really a three, that squeeze feels suffocating. Like, you, you, I can't deal with this. But if you're really a one, that squeeze starts to feel like a hug. When you realize, coach isn't being a hard on me because he's a jerk, he doesn't like me. Blah, coach is doing this because he's trying to get the best out of me. He's trying to get the, the most potential out of me. So last year we had about 20 ones, and we had six or seven twos. And you know what? Two of those two scored in the national championship game. Because we squeezed them and we hugged them and we got what we needed out of them and they, made, and they were difference makers in the national championship game. So this next chapter that I really love in this book is about language. We all hear actions speak louder than words. Words carry a ton of weight. And I, I use words, I don't say a lot, but when I do, I'm very deliberate in what I say to my team. And so... I love this quote from the book. Strong cultures need a system of meaning understood by everyone. All right? They're clarity of vision, understood by everyone. A language and a vocabulary that binds groups together. There's that unity, one of our values. This must have at its foundations core values of the group. Shrewd leaders invent a unique vocabulary. Okay, so there's our word unique again. It's shorthand for communicating new cultural norms and standards. So these are some of our code phrases that actually define and declare our essential spirit. This is vocabulary that's unique to UMass hockey. These things will mean nothing to you, but they mean everything to our players. I had dinner last night with a gentleman named Tom who went to Boston College. Tom, did I see you over there? I want to ask you a question. Sorry to put you on the spot. I didn't tell you last night. So you grew up in New England. The University of Massachusetts in the 1980s was a big party school and earned a very derogatory nickname. What is that? Zoo. The zoo. Zoo mass, right? UMass was known, earned the reputation as zoo mass because it was a party school in the 80s. And when I got on campus, zoo mass was still very much alive. After a while, it really got to me. I really struggled with hearing that. We actually lost a recruit because his mother didn't want her, her son going to zoo mass. I walked into the uh, locker room one day, and I said, gentlemen, that's it. We are erasing zoo mass. We are now new mass, okay? Not a big stretch. Silly guy like me made it up. But this has been very powerful, okay? This has become our vocabulary. Zoo mass, no longer new mass. And so new mass is doing, anything we do at an elevated standard is new mass. And our social, I'm pretty busy on Twitter. Anything that I put out there that is elevated or is at a standard that I believe we should be at, hashtag new mass. 
So I, I created this four years ago. Last month, the university came to me and told me they were copywriting New Mass. They were trademarking New Mass. And I'll guarantee you one thing. I won't see a penny of that. <laughs> But I created that, okay? There you go, humility out the window. So here's some other ones. You get what you deserve. This is integrity, Willie. You brought up integrity. Our guys believe fully you get what you deserve. Don't come crying to me. If you're not doing well in the classroom, you know, not practicing hard enough, you didn't train hard enough this summer, you're not in good enough shape, you're getting what you deserve. Go away. You'll get what you deserve. So our guys all believe that fully. Gold standard, I'll get to that in a little bit. Throw good shit on the pile. I'm sorry I swear so much, I'm a coach. <laughs> I know in the business world it's probably not acceptable. I'm not a businessman, I'm a coach. Another one, link up. And last one is ace, attitude, commitment, effort. We tell our guys, you, this is what you control. You control every day your attitude, your commitment, and your effort. Okay, so this is Colin Felix. This is one of my favorite players on the team. He is a high, high character. Not great skill, high character player. He's done nothing but play in national championship games. That's all he does. And when he got to UMass, he could barely skate backwards, and he's a defenseman. And I... <laughs> I swear to God, first two weeks, I said to my assistant coaches, he can't play, he can't play here. All he does is take us to national championship games. Talent matters, character is much more important. All right, so when I thought of this idea, I said to myself, okay, the next kid that comes in my office, I'm going to sit him down in this chair, and I'm going to throw our vocabulary at him just to prove to everybody today that this is our understood vocabulary. This is, the audio might be a little low on this, but this is not a setup. Colin walked in. I said, listen, I'm going to tape this. I'm going to say some words. You say the first thing that comes to your mind. You cool with that? I'm cool. All right. This is Colin Felix, senior, uh, one of our senior captains. So he does not know what's about to happen, but Colin, I'm going to give you a word, and you tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. Sounds good. New. Mass. You get. What you deserve. Gold. Standard. Throw good. Shit on the pile. Link. Uh, link up. And what does ACE, what do A, C, and E, and ACE stand for? Uh, attitude, commitment, and effort. Amen, brother. All right. So again, clarity of vision. That's the language that I created. Guys all believe in it. And uh, It's very impactful. It adds another layer of strength to our culture. Another chapter in the book is about rituals. Ritualize to actualize. Rituals make beliefs real and actual. So that core value introduction is a ritual. Right? We do it every year. It takes on great meaning. The kids, you know, when it happens, they're like, what the hell's going on here? But by the time they're seniors, they love it. Okay? Reading the legacy book is a ritual. Rituals tell your story. They involve your people and they create a legacy. Rituals are supremely important because they have deep values embedded in them. I believe this. I love rituals. Okay, and this is my favorite ritual. You heard Colin say, link it up. He stumbled on that one a little bit. So this is after the national championship game. We are linking up. We link up in September at the beginning of the year. We all get in a circle. And when you do this with 22-year-old Division I athletes, you feel the power of the unity of a circle, okay? And we look each other in the eyes, 
and we know what the standards and expectations are, and we have to earn the right at the end of the year. We only get to do this if you win a playoff round or you win a championship. So you have to earn the right. When you go through an entire season and you win and you get to link up, that has amazing power. It's my favorite ritual. I think we linked up five or six times this year because we won so many playoff games and, and championships. So it's, it was very special. So next chapter in the book I wanted to discuss is character. And I talked about letting someone else praise your virtues. We use the term sweep the sheds as, as another part of our vocabulary. We stole it from this book. And I think as, for leaders, it's really important to remember it's to never be too big to do the little things. I think it's very powerful when you are the leader of a culture that there isn't a hierarchy, okay? And again, if that's part of your clarity of vision, if when your freshmen come in and pretty soon they're like, hey, how come I don't have to do all the grunt work around here? And that's very powerful, and that comes from leadership. So an example of that is when we get off the bus after a road trip, it's usually on a Saturday night, about 12, 1 a.m. in the morning, we play hockey in the winter, so it's cold out, snowing. Nothing more than I want to do than be in my bed and go to sleep. But the coaches all sit in front of the bus. What we do is we get up, we go under, we open the bus, put the bags on our shoulders, and we carry them into the locker room. And so as the rest of the players come off the bus, they're seeing the coaches carrying the bags in the locker room, and it's a powerful thing. But again, everything that you do trickles down to your players. And next picture I want to show you, so this is the same picture of the ritual, but what I want you to notice in this picture is the gloves and the sticks strewn all over the ice. That's what happens after a championship game. After we broke up from the link, the guys took the trophy and they all funneled in the locker room, hooting and hollering, and this is what I did. I went around and I picked up helmets and sticks. And... This is a big contradiction because I'm here bragging about how humble I am right now. <laughs> and I told you it would get disgusting, and I'm sorry. We, I think we've reached that point. So, <laughs> talked about the importance of words and language. Just as important are your actions. Everything's important. Humility is the foundation of character. And we've talked a lot about character. Humility is the foundation of character, and so it's so important that the coaches exemplify that humility to their players because we want to develop their character. That's what we're trying to do. So everything trickles down from the coach. This is Bobby Trevino. Our character and culture is through the roof. Starts with the coach, goes all the way down to the whole program. Okay? Again, that someone else sees it and someone else is proclaiming it for us. I worked in the NHL for 10 years. I worked under Probably my favorite and greatest mentor, his name was Brian Murray. He was the general manager for most of the time that I was a coach in the NHL. He told me all the time, Greg, teams take on the personality of the coach. And at first I was like, really? And then over time, I was like, he's absolutely right. And you know, it's the same, same with business. I, I would imagine when I look at Apple or Tesla and Walker Dunlop, I've been here for less than 24 hours. I probably heard four or five times from other people, the effect, Willie, that you have on this company. And it's quite impressive. So Brian said the team takes on the personality of its coach. Before the national championship game, an ESPN analyst was asked, what makes the UMass team special? They take on the coach's mentality. 
Now, I'm not going to read the rest of this answer, but if you remember at the beginning, our goal is to make other people say our identity, fast, hard, prepared. So if you look deeply in there, you'll see they play very fast, they're well prepared, and extremely physical. Extremely physical is a good synonym for hard. So again, we were able to get someone else to say our identity for us. The leaders, you guys, we all create the culture. The cultures drive the behavior. Behavior produces the results. And that's why it's critically important that we all drive the culture throughout an entire organization. All right, last couple of things. We're going to get to purpose. To me, purpose is maybe the most powerful thing you can do as a leader is to create a common purpose. When I got to UMass, I had to create a common purpose when the team couldn't win games. Obviously, couldn't be, hey, our common purpose is to win the championship. We couldn't win a game yet, let alone win a championship. So our first common purpose was to command respect. We could do that. We could play hard. We could never give up. We could make the other team beat us. Never get blown out. Never give up. The other team may beat us, but at the end of the game, they're like, hey, the UMass team played hard. That was the goal. That was our common purpose. So for two years, that was our common purpose, was to command respect. The second year, we'd worked our way up to you know, the middle part of the country, so we had to change it. It became, we wanted to be the gold standard athletic team at UMass. Okay, at UMass, everybody wants the football team to be good, wants the basketball team to be good. They're not very good. We wanted to make UMass a hockey school. So we needed to be the gold standard. We needed to announce to everybody else, the hockey team is, does things the best. In the third year, we had the highest GPA of any team on campus. We'd do more community service, and we played in the national championship game. So we became the gold standard, and we'll never give that up. And I tell our players, not only the other teams can be like us, they will never catch us. I'm glad we're the standard. They'll never catch us. So we had to change our, our common purpose again. Next, we wanted to be the gold standard of college hockey. And this year, after five years, we were able to win a national championship. So if you want high performance, it starts with higher purpose. Great teams play with a higher purpose. I believe this fully. And the last quote here, great leaders work hard to create a sense of purpose and connection. And this is coming back to connection that Sheila mentioned at the beginning. And I just want you to watch this video, and I want you to see if you feel connection in this hug. It took a, kind of a dirty goal, you know what I mean? I mean, it, nothing clean beat either goaltender in this game. Right, the one goal was a weird bang shot from behind the goal. So that hug with Colin, it's Colin, that's the same kid uh, earlier. They're, hugs come in different degrees, right? That's a 10-plus hug right there. That's two people who uniquely see each other. And this is the reason why. Colin's father died a few years before he got to UMass. As I said earlier, he is probably the highest character kid on our team. So in that moment, I told him how much I appreciate him, how much I love him, how important he is to us. When he lost his dad, it's a hole not many of us have. We try to fill it as a staff. I'm sure at times like these, he's thinking about his dad. I wanted him want him to know how much he means to me, and he does. So that's why I said to Sheila, the most important thing is our connections. When you can get connections like that, these kids will do anything for you. And that they already have high character, they do amazing things for you. As I said, that kid couldn't skate backwards. 
All he does is play in national champion games. So vulnerability is a big part of connection. And I read a little bit on it. And if you want to build connection, you have to be vulnerable. And I have to lead in that. So when a kid comes in my office, he's struggling with whatever, I have to get as vulnerable. I have to lead the vulnerability so he'll be vulnerable. And then that's when we can open up the strong connection. The other thing that's really important is authenticity. And I want to go to this picture. If you just look at me, if you isolate me, I look like I'm about to murder somebody and you know, bludgeon them with a big object. But if you take me out and you just look at the faces of the players, that's them appreciating authenticity. You have to share your true self. It's a big part of connection is sharing your true self. So the story behind this picture, this is year three. That's the first trophy we've won. We've won five or six big trophies now. This was the first one. It had been passed around the entire team. Every player had taken their turn, put it in the air, and we all cheered, handed it to the next one. Everybody except me. I was the last one. And we never won anything before. So they brought it over to me, and nobody knew what I was going to do. I could easily have been too cool for school and been like, yeah, 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 good job, guys. It was an opportunity. It was an opportunity for me to be authentic. And this is what it looks like. And now they, they don't call me coach. They call me Carvey, okay? So when you go through hard times with people, you damn well celebrate with those people when you've earned that, okay? That's authenticity. That felt good. That's what I wanted to do. That wasn't, I didn't have to make that up. That was my authentic self. We'd gone through a lot of hard times, and we earned that. So the last thing I want to talk about today is standards. Again, this is coming from somebody else. This is from Marty Meehan. This was in the Boston Globe. Marty Meehan is the president of the entire university system in Massachusetts, and he's in the Boston Globe raving about the hockey team. That's huge. Okay, when I have the guy at the top of the ladder raving about my team, about our GPA, about our engagement in the community, and then the last lines that I insist on my players giving back to the community, believing it builds character, which makes you a better person and ultimately a better hockey player. And that's really our common purpose. I won't tell the players this. Our common purpose is to make them better people. It's to develop character. Developing character leads to culture. A quote that I love, sing your world into existence. Sing your world into existence. It's not do bench press your world into existence. It's sing your world into existence. During that first year when we were 5 and 29, our staff had the audacity to come up with a vision statement. There was three parts to it. The first part was about developing character. That would lead to a renowned culture. And then the result would be consistent success at the national level. We were losing 17 games in a row when we, when we made that up. We sang that into existence. I saw a video recently of Willie. I think it was 2016. It was probably at the summer conference, and I don't know if I had the numbers right. I think, Willie, you said by 2020, you wanted to have a billion dollars in revenue. Does that sound familiar? 
Did it come true? Saying his world into existence. Words are powerful. People want to be led by big dreams that they can believe in, that are achievable. It's all powerful stuff. So the last thing I'm going to do here is I want to share this picture. This picture was taken with three minutes left in the national championship game. This was during a TV timeout. The game was over. It was 5-0. We just had to play out the last three minutes. This picture sums up our culture to me. So when I look at it, I see connection. I see unity. I see commitment. I see our core values. I see leadership. I see character. I see all the things that are important. So what I was doing is I was thanking them. I was thanking them for all the sacrifices that they've made, for the outstanding ace that they show every day, their attitude, commitment, effort. It was a wonderful opportunity because I knew it was the last time I was probably going to have all their attention. The next day, a couple of them signed with NHL teams and, and they were gone. But what did happen after we celebrated on the ice, finally got them in the locker room. I walked in and everybody's hooting and howling. And I'm like, guys, sit down. Please just sit down for one minute. You know, they're joking, the music's going, they'll bring the music down. And everybody's still laughing and trying to get their attention. And our captain's name was Jake. And I said, Jake, do you see me? Place went dead. He said, I see you, coach. Oliver, do you see me? I see you, coach. These kids had this four years earlier. They had this experience when we were a shit team. And I challenged them to build character, which built a culture, which led us to a national championship. And this is the last picture, the last frame. This was when we won our, our league championship this year, hockey's first time in the history of the school. Uh, I want to share a stat with you. We played two championship games this year. The combined scores were 6 nothing. We didn't allow a goal in the championship game. We played four games to win the national championship. In those games, we outscored our opponents 17-3. to Those stats, my friends, are new mass, and that's how we went from worst to first. Thank you. All right, I've got a couple questions for Carvey, but I also have the mic for anyone who wants to ask one, so just raise your hand and I'll give it to you. Carve, when someone is determined to be a two, do you tell him that he's a two? Oh, yeah. If they're in the big boy pants club, they know they're, <laughs> they're squarely a two. And believe me, that's just being in that club, it's not derogatory. They're not embarrassed by it, but they feel guilty about it. And that's part of the reason we do it. And they're together. It's not like we're singling out one kid. It's six or seven, and, and they know it. They know what, you know whatever the expectation I've had for them. And again, it goes back to the connection and the relationships. We're really honest with our kids. Like, we don't waste time beating around the bush. We use the phrase, give it in the gut, not in the back. Just give it, this is honest. This is what we need from you, okay? And it's not harsh, it's not cruel, it's honesty. And it's our culture. If you're one kid that gets offended by it, 24 other kids are going to be like, grow up. Like, 
We all get it. Just listen to what coach is saying to you. Deal with it. Get better. Because when you get better, that's what I tell them. And I, I just told the freshman this last week, I said, the sooner you can find your big boy pants and put them on, the better our team's going to be. So it's really critically important. So it's just, you know, our, our unique language to try to deal with twos. I love the fact that you uh, are so clearly defining in what in business a lot of people won't do for their employees, what they expect out of them so they can be successful. So thank you for sharing that. Are you nervous now because you did build this team or do you have any anxiety about the fact that you built the team, the people you recruited, and now you're going into new recruiting and having to start all over again? Is there any anxiety? Would you consider it a failure if you didn't continue to win, but you built character? So those are my questions. Yeah, winning is hard. Like, we beat Duluth in that semifinal game. They just missed scoring with, like, 20 seconds left in the game. It easily could. I know what my standard expectations are. It's not about winning. Everybody loves that you're, you're a champion. As long as the kids are performing to that level of what I think they're capable of doing, it's the same thing in school. Like, we want them to all do well in school. They're not all 4-0 students. But when we bring in a kid who's been a 2-0 student his whole life, but we get him up to 3-0 student, that's a huge victory. Okay? He's not a 4-0 student, but he's, we know he's reaching his potential of what he's capable of doing. I had a story this I want to share with you, you know, similar to your comment that you started with. I had an alum text me about something. And we we're going back and forth, and he's like, oh, by the way, my, my girlfriend loves you. I'm like, had I ever met her? I said, he said, no. He goes, but after you guys beat Lake State 5-1 to in the regionals, and you were pissed off because the team didn't play well enough, she goes, I love that guy. So it's the same thing. I don't care if we win and we didn't play to our standards, then I'm upset, and vice versa. I don't care if we lose. We play hard and we lose. I'm fine with that. Got one here. Thank you for uh, explaining so clearly how to build a winning culture and showing how that can result in such a successful uh, result. Question about the development of all of these ideas, this philosophy. Obviously, I think it comes from personal experience, but what there, was there a mentor of yours early on that kind of show you how, you know, what it means or how to put in place such a winning culture? I think like anybody, we, it's an amalgamation of people, more so than just one per, I want to be exactly like this person. I mentioned uh, my college coach was great. I felt uniquely seen by my college coach. I loved playing for him. I chose to go to that school because of him. So I had that as my, how I want to build relationships with my players. When I was in the NHL, I worked with Mike Babcock. He taught me how to be hard, prepared. And then we talked about Brian Murray, who taught me about how to relate to players and, and it's an amalgamation of, of all that combined with my own personal beliefs. The nice thing I can say to my, my guy, like I graduated magna cum laude. I was captain of my team, leading scorer, all that stuff. I can say, don't tell me you can't be really good at this and not good at this. Like, we want to be high, the, best, the gold standard at everything we do. And I go back always to the clarity of vision. There's no gray area. There's no wiggle room for anybody. I don't care if... Two years ago, we had the, one of the best players in the country. He led the country in goals. We're two-thirds of the way through the year. We're in a little bit of a struggle. We lost a game or two. And I was so unhappy with a, this guy, I put him in the stands. 
and nobody could believe. How do you put your best player in the stands? Because he deserves to be there. What did he do? He came back in the next 10 games. He had 14 goals. I think he had two or three hat tricks. I can't speak for your employees, but I know these kids want to be held accountable. As much as they may gripe about it, they are dying to be held accountable. They're dying to have standards and expectations because it makes their life easier. It takes choices away from them. I think it's really freeing for them that you're showing them the path. You can't go, you don't have a choice. And you just go this way. And it's not for everybody. It's for the right kind of kids. And the kids that are on the borderline, they all come over and become ones, most of them. Carve, I think we've got time for one more. Chris? The example that you just gave, I think, answers the question that I had, which, you know, John Madden, football coach, always had the saying where every team's got one player that the bus waits for, but it can only have one. And so clearly if you're benching your best player, putting him in the stands, you completely disagree with that. So you answered that question. Probably the more important question I had is, when Willie was playing hockey in college, <laughs> did, 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 did he have to get squeezed from a two to a one? <laughs> give, give us a little bit of color. <laughs> this is what I'll say. Willie and I just missed each other. Yep. So we're either four or five years apart. I'll answer that by saying what I've only seen of Willie. He's the one all day long. That's amazing. <laughs> On that one, Carve, thank you. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Thanks, buddy. Thank You're great. You. My friendship with Carve has been one of the most gratifying friendships I have because I've watched him and what he's done. When he took over the St. Lawrence program, he literally took it to the top of ECAC hockey. And as someone who went to St. Lawrence undergrad and to Harvard for business school, I'd always try and make a habit of going up to Harvard and watching St. Lawrence kick the you-know-what out of Harvard. And the year before he left, they beat Harvard at Harvard five to one. And I took two of our kids down into the locker room after the game. And his goalie at that time was one of the best goalies in the country. And Kyle, after the game, he's a drink of water. You couldn't believe this kid who probably weighed, how, how did he weigh, 160 pounds? I mean, he's a small guy, not like these big goalies that you typically see. And Kyle sat there and gave one of my kids his goalie stick. And to just see these kids get this sense of excellence and to have Carve share with us what that was like was really unique. But then, since he's gotten to UMass and seeing what he's done, as he and I communicate with one another about the way that he runs UMass and the things that I'm trying to implement at Walker and Dunlop, it has been a great friendship and a great partnership for all those years. And to see him reach the pinnacle at UMass this past year was truly one of the great events that I've ever seen. And so, Carvey, thanks very much and congrats for everything. Thanks, Willie.